0: Wednesday evenings in the book of Genesis. And um, if you guys tonight would turn to chapter twenty six, we shall continue. In chapter, the end of chapter twenty five. In verse 29, we saw that Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which is red. Now, it's sort of surprising they didn't call him that earlier, because he came out all red and hairy. But I guess he was more hairy than he was red when he was born. So the hairy name stuck rather than the red. So I I do think that the name Edom was something he was called, uh, you know, out on the streets. You know, he was a man who was around the Canaanites, around the Hittites, around the Philistines. He was a man of the earth. He was out in the midst mingling with the people. Jacob wasn't. He was at home with mom. He didn't mingle. He didn't get to know the peoples of the land. And that was something that uh, Abraham very much did not want Isaac to do, was to associate with those people. And uh, he didn't allow him. And uh, Jacob is really following sort of in the heart of his father Abraham. But Esau was a man of, he was a secular. He was a secular guy. Um, He was a powerful Man, He was a hunter. He was the man's man. And uh, the, the point here, though, in this story is that when later Esau's people would be known as the Edomites. And it was all around this story. How did we become the Edomites? Well, it's really the day that our forefather was betrayed by his brother, the Jew, the Hebrew and those hebrew people they're doing it to us until this day and there was a root of bitterness that sprang up from the very name because it was at this point when he ate that red stew that his brother taken advantage of him when he was starving to death i'm sure the story was always told with the bent to how wrong esau was how wronged esau was and how wrong Judah or Jacob was in his deviant ways. But Jacob said, well, sell me your birthright as of this day. Now, we saw last time at the end of verse, or in verse 28, that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. They had a very split family. And it appears that Isaac was living even separate. He, as we're going to see later in the story, not tonight, but Isaac is away from Rebecca and he has his own location where he's living and Esau's there with Isaac and Jacob is living you know with mom in a different tent and and so we we see how deep the split goes where Jacob doesn't even want to give his brother stew that he has plenty of Even when his brother is saying, I feel like I'm starving to death. And he still is like, no, I'm not going to just give it to you. I might sell it to you. That's a very seriously split family. But Esau sort of expected Jacob to be this way. And I probably Esau was the same way back at his brother Jacob. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So that what is the birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as to this day. And he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew and lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So let's understand here that Esau saw spiritual benefits and he didn't care if he lost them. Now, it was the right of the firstborn son, so you get the stuff. But I don't think, I think there's plenty of stuff to go around. I don't think getting wealthier was something he was concerned about. But being the head of the clan, I don't think Esau could, could think in the future. He was a man that gratified his flesh in the here and now. What comes tomorrow or next week? Who cares? But let's understand, this birthright was mainly the spiritual standing that God gave to Abraham and God would give to his son. That was the focal point. And the fact was, as Esau could care less. He was a secular person. He wasn't a spiritual person. And after that... He just despised the whole idea. You know, it's just like the whole thing sickens me. It's, it's the, whole, the whole birthright thing is never appealed to me. And, and the fact that Jacob thought it had some kind of value and wanted it. I, I just, I, I don't, just the whole spiritual nonsense sickens me. And we know that from Hebrews chapter 12. And let me read this to you. And starting in um, <clears throat> verse 15 and, 16 and 17, it says, Be careful lest you fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So in essence, that anger that Esau felt towards Jacob and towards the birthright and, and towards the whole thing even though, as we're going to find, Esau was fine when he saw his brother Jacob many years later. They're they're fine. There doesn't seem to be that root of bitterness in Esau himself. But yet, it was even though it was a tiny seed. That's all it takes, because that tiny seed will grow like cancer. And by fifteen hundred years later, after Esau's death, we've got Malachi. Where God says, Esau, I hate, not saying Esau the person, but Esau the the tribe of Esau, I hate. And then he gives a he gives a long list why? Because they stopped them at the border, allowed the Amalekites to kill them and rape them. Uh, There's a whole book of Edom or of Obadiah that's just on this very subject about how that bitterness took root and eventually caused the people of Esau to be annihilated. Now in the law, boy, the law is big stuff. God said, hey, don't ever treat Esau, again, referring to the people of Esau, in any disrespectful or harmful because they are your brother. So God didn't hate Esau personally. Matter of fact, he wanted to make sure that nobody even mistreated anybody of the descendants of Esau, and told them that, hey, you know what, far as the line of who the Messiah would come through, yeah, that's not Esau, but that doesn't mean that Esau is not the child of Abraham, and he's somebody I want to bless uh, also. And indeed, he did. And we looked at this last week uh, in comparison with Ishmael. But he goes on here in Hebrews 12, 16, it says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. And we're going to see that in the last verse tonight. For one morsel of food, he sold the birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So, you know, when he came back, as we're going to find out later, and find out that Isaac, thinking he had blessed Esau, it was really Jacob, he says, Well, you know, give me the blessing you were going to give Jacob. And what did Isaac say? I held nothing back. I thought I was dumping it all on you, Esau. Of course, that shows the rather rebellion in Isaac's heart. We'll talk about that at another time. But nevertheless, at that point, Esau was grieved, but it wasn't over spiritual things. Again, he was upset over secular things. He was upset that there was no blessing from his dad for his life. And, uh, and so it was never really something that God could honor, and it was simply... Uh, He hated that it happened. It's like, you know, there's somebody who's really sorry for their crime and somebody who's really sorry that they're stuck in prison for their crime. There's a big difference, you know. One of those repentance gods can honor, the other he can't. So Esau didn't change, but yet he became a very honorable man. And we now get into chapter 26, and there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, in Gerar. So I want to stop here and say, do you remember last week when 20 years had gone by with Isaac and Rebekah and they had no kids? And it says that Isaac went and sought the Lord and she conceived. That was the first test. Remember what Abraham did when they hit the 20 year mark? He went into Hagar. So Isaac was being tested just like Father Abraham was tested. But he passed that test with flying colors. And now God says to Isaac, I'm gonna give you the next test I gave Abraham. (laughs) A really severe famine and this has not happened since it happened in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham when he went down to Egypt and where do we see him going he's heading that direction this is what we discover when he's heading down towards the Philistine land he's heading south out of the promised land remember this is the very edge the next he's heading into the desert towards Egypt And so he's getting tested in the same way, and it appears that he's heading to Egypt. But notice in verse two, the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Now, this is the first time that the Lord speaks to Isaac. Remember earlier in the last chapter, he actually, God spoke to Rebecca (laughs) before he spoke to Isaac. It's interesting that that God's going to speak to Isaac one more time in this chapter. And those are the only two times God ever spoke to Isaac. He spoke to Abraham eight times. Now, when you say, wow, because God honored Abraham in a greater way than he honored Isaac. Well, with far as the amount of scripture written about Isaac, this is it, guys. There's really not a whole lot more. So this is really the only chapter dedicated to Isaac. But now after this, it's going to go into Jacob and give him lots and lots of chapters. And then it's going to give lots and lots to Joseph. But I think the real reason God spoke to Abraham, if you go back and look at the eight times he spoke to Abraham, is because Abraham really needed the help. I don't think he spoke to Abraham because he was so great. I think he spoke to Abraham because he was so weak. And I think that the fact that he didn't need to speak to Isaac any more than twice is, is sort of um, a statement of, of the strength that, got, that Isaac got from just the couple of times God spoke to him. It was enough for a lifetime. Well, what does God say? He says very clearly, don't. Do it. Now, this makes me wonder if God had sort of spoken the same thing to Abraham, but Abraham didn't really understand uh, how God uh, would direct him in that way and went on down to Egypt. But I I don't know. But let's not forget that Jacob would end up dying where? (laughs) In Egypt. By the end of the book of Genesis, the very place God said, don't go, everybody ends up there for over 400 years. So um, that's an interesting story in and of itself. But verse 3 now. But God says, dwell in this land. And what? I will be with you and bless you. I just want to stop right there. Abraham didn't need to go down to Egypt. Had he sought the Lord, the Lord would have said, stay here. It doesn't matter how bad a drought is. I can take care of you. And of course, when the children of Israel left Egypt years later, God rained manna out of heaven. He brought water out of a rock. They were going through um, the desert for those 40 years and had never had a need. Not even did their clothes wear out. So God, Abraham never needed to go down to Egypt to to stay there until the, the worst part of the famine was over. God could have taken care of him. But here he's telling Isaac, I know it seems impossible with your eyes and what you're seeing in a horrible, horrible drought, but it's it's not going to be that way for you because I'm going to be with you and I'm going to bless you. You know what, guys? All the promises of God are what? Yay and amen to us. When we look at the word of God, we're seeing the nature of God, first of all. And the next thing, you know, the Pharisees did get one thing right about Jesus. And they used it against him. Oh, good teacher, we know there is no partiality with you. Whether it's a woman in another country, Damascus, or whether it's a Samaritan or a poor or a rich, you, you, you have no partiality. That's so important because that is so true that God loves everyone. That's why Christ died for the sins of the whole world. God wishes all men to be saved, but we're all free-willed individuals. We have to make that choice. And so he says to you tonight, I will be with you. Remember in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, the very end of that verse, and lo, I am with you, what? Always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And then, of course, Hebrews 13:5, the end of that verse, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that wonderful? God grabs a hold of us and never lets us go. Well, he goes on there the second part of verse three. So I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. For you and your descendants, I will give these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give you, your descendants, all these lands. And in your seed, singular, referring to the Messiah, we know all the nations or the peoples of the earth shall be blessed. Notice again. Genesis 12, the plan was to go through Abraham and the end of chapter 12, verse three, the whole the reason is, is through eventually his seed. It'll, it'll eventually hit a dead end road and land on one person as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then through Judah and, and King David and, and so forth. And then, whew, all the nations of the world. That was always the plan, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. It wasn't, and then after that seed, screw everybody else, it's all about the Jews only. That's, that wasn't the promise, was it? It was always about all the various people, groups of the world would be blessed. That was always God's plan. And then he says there in verse 5, because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. (laughs) Oh, I love God so much. And one of the reasons is, is because he sees things so greatly to our advantage. I mean we just read the story of Abraham and I would not have described his life of obedience in the way God did here. <laughs> I mean he didn't say and and Abraham did a pretty good job obeying me a good part of his life. Now I could have bought that. But I wouldn't have broken down and said, "Man, Abraham obeyed my voice. Let me tell you about your father. He was perfect." I wonder how Isaac heard that, going, "Oh man, that's such a hard, difficult thing to live up to." Well, not when God's the one going to be judging you, Isaac. You'll be, you'll do just as well. But Abraham, remember it says there, in and and Romans four. That Abraham was this great man of faith. He never staggered in unbelief. And when God said, you're going to have a child, it says that Abraham looked at his dead body and the deadness of the womb of Sarah and strengthened himself, knowing that he who said it was able to do the impossible. And everybody who has faith is a child of Abraham, for he's the father of us all. You know, when you read that, you're just sort of giggling. Going, man, I have read that story, and no, that is not the way it happened. God said, you're going to have as many kids as the stars of the heavens, and Abraham believed God, and the next chapter, he goes into Hagar and has Ishmael. (laughs) That's what actually happened. And then when God said several years later, hey, you're going to have a child, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Okay, that's what really happened. But I'm so glad God knows what's really going on in the heart. And even though some of his outward actions weren't so great, God saw his heart of faith, even when it didn't look so much on the outside. And so I'm so glad that that God is looking at us. Of course, King David, what's God's commentary on him in Acts 13? He's a man after my own heart who did all my will. I think I think we're going to do pretty good on the day of judgment. That's what I think. <laughs> but you know, seeing seeing how the Lord uh, seeing a few report cards ahead of time beforehand, it gives me a lot of hope. And of course, this is exactly what we see, don't we? God forgives our sin and forgets them, scatters them far as the east of the west to be remembered no more. Bears in the deepest seas, right? So I, I think I think that. God saying this is really being true to what he would later promise in verses saying that, hey, I really am going to only reward you for the things you've done right. And that's all, all that we're going to remember. And, and to be honest, as a father, that's pretty much the way I look at my kids. I, I don't remember all of the horrible things. And I try not to remember if I do. Uh, but it's it's uh, interesting how I remember about all the stupid things I've done from my whole life, and Satan reminds me I think pretty regularly. But but here he says, man, Abraham was so obedient. Now let me tell you why that's impos- that's important. That verse five, because going back up to verse three, dwell in the land, don't go down to Egypt, but dwell in the land, and I will bless you. When he says it here, it's not like the other times in Genesis. Here in the Hebrew, it's in the reflexive. So it really should read, and you will be blessing yourself. One other time, God says that, only one other time in the reflective. And that's in Genesis 22. When God stops Abraham's hand and says, now... I know that you would not even hold back your only begotten son. And remember when I had said, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless. He says, now all the blessings that I said are going to come through you are going to come through you. And how does he end that little segment of praising Abraham? Because you obeyed my voice. What is he saying? Guys, it's justification and sanctification it really is all the other times it is i'm going to cause the blessings in your life and that's the way we read it but actually there's two times where it says i'm going to ble- i'm going to give you a situation where you're going to be blessing you're going to be a blessing to yourself that's literally what he's saying and then what does he say next you know, chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, God says the the big long blessing that he's going to give Abraham in a minute. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you all the land. I'm going to give it to your descendants. And you know, the, the big long blessing. And each of those times in 12 and 15 and 17, it is, I'm going to cause it. It's going to happen because I've said it's going to happen. But then when Abraham does what God said, even though it was incredibly difficult. God said, yes, just like I said, I set you up in a situation where you would be blessed by blessing yourself. And then he says to Isaac, that very thing, look at Abraham, he was blessed by me. I caused blessings in his life, but then he blessed himself. He experienced all the blessings of God Why? Because he obeyed my voice. He kept my charge. He kept my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Because he did that, I was going to put blessings on him, but all the blessings that could be his, he received because of his life of obedience. I love that here. Interesting, the first time, you know, I like to say the first usage in the Bible The first time the word law or Torah is ever mentioned is right here at the end of verse 5. He kept my Torah, the laws. Well, moving on to verse 6 here. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. He didn't go any further south. And the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said, she's my sister. Sound familiar? For he was afraid. And, and because he had fear, he was afraid to say, She's my wife, because he thought, Lest the men of this place kill me for Rebecca, because she is a beautiful to behold. And remember, this has been said a couple of times before this. She truly was a beautiful, beautiful woman. Um, the Bible doesn't use those words willy nilly. Um, she was really a beautiful, beautiful woman. And so he was afraid. Um, and therefore, out of his fear, he, he did something that wasn't of faith. That which is not of faith is sin. He, he, was, he was, God just said, I'm going to be with you. Didn't he just say that? I'm going to bless you, right? Everything, just like I told Abraham, I told Abraham, I'm going to bless his descendants. And I'm going to do that for you. Now, just, just to let you know, when we've been studying the last couple of chapters, they haven't really been in chronological order. a matter of fact, it appears that Esau and Jacob were born after Abraham died. But, but remember, they were born when Isaac was 60. That would make Abraham 160. And Abraham died at 175. So Isaac, or Esau and Jacob were 15 years old when Abraham died. So it sort of appears that Abraham died years before these two guys were ever born, as you look at the chronology. But in the Eastern mind of, of writing stories, it's all about the importance of the story and the order of the importance of the story. It's not about trying to make everything chronological. But the numbers are there, so you can discover it. So in the same way, I, I wonder if Esau... And Jacob hadn't yet even been born because I think had they been born, then he might have had more fear. But just like when Abraham said, she's my sister, but yet he hadn't had any kids yet. And God said, you're going to have the, as many kids as the stars of the heavens. Well, in the same way here, I, I don't know chronologically where this story falls, but again, he could have had the faith that Abraham told him going, hey, how would you die when you know, your lineage isn't there yet. But nevertheless, we see him being tested with the same exact test of Abraham, right? This time he doesn't pass the test. I guess having an incredibly beautiful wife in a foreign country is a scary thing. I think it probably is even to this day. And uh, so before we, we judge him too harshly, um, let's just remember, there's no sin that's not common to all men, right? Just because he stumbled at this doesn't mean that we wouldn't uh, also um, fall. Be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man is a snare but he who trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Well, you guys already know how this story goes. Let's read it in verse eight. So it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through the window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. That word endearment in the old King James, sport. I like that. He was sporting with his wife. You can look that word up in the, the King James Version, or excuse me, in the Strong's um, concordance, it's the same exact word when, a, when Moses is coming off the mountain and Joshua says, Hey, there's something going on. I think they're having a battle or whatever. And Moses says, They're not having a war. That's, that's an orgy going on down there. That's the word orgy. It's the same exact word. So it's definitely a sexual connotation. Interesting, the word there for sporting or endearment. Is the root Isaac, the name, the word Isaac. Um, so it's, it's really the word Isaac as well. He was Isaacing with his wife um, and, and referring to laughter. But so they were, whatever they were doing, it was clearly something a, a man shouldn't be doing with his sister. That's for certain that we know. And um, so Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So Again, we see the pagan king and, 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 you know, Abraham's like, they're so pagan. They wouldn't respect that I'm married to her. They'd just kill me and take her. Well, each time he did that, and to Pharaoh and Abimelech, when Abraham did that, both of those pagan kings, one said, we would have done the immoral thing by laying with your wife, and we would have been found guilty, and God would have punished us for that. So these guys weren't as pagan as they thought they were in one sense. But what's even worse is that these guys didn't have the same God, true God. And they were actually more moral than God's man, God's representative. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, It's happened to me. I, I do know that God didn't choose us because he picked the top... 10% Ten percent most godly people who are already wonderfully godly and moral in the planet, and just said, "Yeah, let's, let's just make you Christians." God took the weak, the base, the bottom of the the bucket. God chose to confound the wise uh, of this earth. Well, the next thing we see is God fulfilling His promise to Isaac. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundred fold, and the Lord blessed him. So in the middle of this drought, Isaac takes up farming. This is new. These guys are typically nomadic. They're not around long enough for a harvest. But in the midst of this drought, God is blessing Isaac with so much water. He's planting and the plant is a hundredfold. Let me tell you, I, I, lived, I grew up in a farming community. A hundredfold does not happen unless God does it. I mean, you just never get a hundred seeds and a hundred plants. Never happens. But it says at the end of verse 12, the Lord blessed him. It was just obvious to everyone that his first attempt at farming wasn't him. It was the Lord. And everybody knew it, including Isaac. And the man began to prosper and continue prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. And so what did they do? They they want to hurt him. So in verse 15, those Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them up with earth. So he's over there next to those wells that his father uh, had dug decades before, but he's not going to benefit from them. We're going we're to try to hurt his prosperity. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Now, do I think this is the same Abimelech that Abraham saw? Probably not. Um, Abimelech is like the name of a king, and it was probably um, used widely throughout the land. But in verse 17, Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again a wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he called them by their names that his father had called them. And Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. Not a well, but it's a spring. They were digging a well, and they end up tapping into an actual spring. Boy, that's a lot better than any well. But even though they found this pile of gold, look what happened in verse 20. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdmen saying, the water is ours. <laughs> so he called the name of the well Asak, contention, because they quarreled with him. So he just left and they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. And he called its name Sitnah. Opposition, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, roominess. Uh, there's, there's a, I can spread out here, because he said, "For now, the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land." So we see here that Isaac is not a aggressive guy. He, he seems to be a guy who, when he, somebody's quarreling and there's gonna be a fight, he just says, no, 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 let's not fight, and he moves away. Now, you could say, well, that, that's a good characteristic. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? They'll shall be, be called sons of God, you know? As long as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. So you, you could say, on one hand, that was sort of a good thing with Isaac, but in reality, he was being that way, not because he had the heart of peace. It's because he was living his life in fear. I'm afraid because there's a famine. Now I'm afraid because I might not prosper. Well, now I'm afraid because I'm too prosperous. <laughs> How do I know that? God speaks to him now for the second time. And notice what the Lord says to him, from there he went to Beersheba. And the Lord, Yahweh, appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. What does he say now? Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you. I will multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. God said this to Abraham about eight, you know, not every time he spoke to God or God spoke to him, but several of the times, God kept repeating the same thing over and over to Abraham. And now he's doing that to Isaac. Why? Because that's the way we're made. We need to keep hearing afresh God speaking to us. I mean, you you have those times when you read the Bible and you're going, uh, my heart wasn't moved at all today, but I got to go. And then there's other times that you read the word and it's like you've entered right into the very presence of God. We've experienced that on Wednesday nights. Sometimes on Wednesday nights, God's spirit falls on us. Other times like, well, it was good. It was good to be here, but it wasn't that Holy Ghost moving time. But here the Lord appeared to him and and uh, it's interesting if you look at how many times it says El Shaddai versus Yahweh. Most of the time it's been El Shaddai, God Almighty, God of host. But now it seems to be an intimate thing, Yahweh. Of course, I don't think they understood what Yahweh meant until Moses talked to God at the burning bush. When he, he says, Who shall I say sent? Well, the word would have been El Shaddai because that's most of what's used throughout Genesis. But God doesn't say that, does he? He says, Yah, Yahweh, I am what I am. But here he tells him right up front, don't be afraid anymore. Don't have fear anymore. Why? I'm with you. And you know, I just sort of want to wash all of us in the word of God tonight on this issue of fear. Deuteronomy six. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah forty-one, ten: Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. One of my favorites, Luke 12, 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid. And then Hebrews, we looked at part of this verse five earlier, but now I'm gonna look at uh, verse five and verse six of Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, five and six. For he himself has said, "I I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we will boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And then once again, Matthew 28, 20. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In Hebrews 13, 5, be again, just that little nugget. He himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, God is the one speaking this. It it should have more of a voice in your life than anything. It should have a greater voice than your head. (laughs) It should have a greater voice than your heart of fear. God saying that I'm with you, that I'll never forsake you, that I'll never leave you. That, that voice of God should be so great that the next voice that you might hear can't really even be heard. That's the understanding of that Hebrews 13. Well, he goes on there to say to, to him, that's about it. Don't be afraid. I'm with you back in verse 24 of, of, of Genesis 26. And once again, he repeats, I'll multiply your sins because that's what I told Abraham I would do. And uh, eventually I'm going to tell your son, I, I'm, I'm going to do for you what I did for a- Abraham and Isaac. And I love this. It seems like a long time since he's done this. He built an altar there and called on the name of what? Yahweh. And he pitched his tent there. He he didn't just build an altar there. He he brought his tent to the place where he was worshiping Yahweh. And there Isaac's servant dug a well. So we're going to build an altar there. We're going to put our tents right next to that altar. And we're going to dig a well right there as well. And Isaac said to them, oh, excuse me, now, verse 26, now Abimelech is afraid. <laughs> and he comes to him from Gerar with Ahuzatha one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. So yeah, when you're thinking about it, it sounds almost identical to what happened with Abraham back in chapter 21. The same thing happened. I think they were not the same people. I don't even think it was the same uh, country But the the same names are used when the story about Abraham happens. But Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? Whoa, (laughs) where did passive little meek Isaac go? You see, the word of God went right to Isaac's heart. Be not afraid, I'm with you. And here comes the big guns. And he's got his commanders with him. And he's got some mighty dudes with him. And and they're all coming up looking as strong as they can look. And here's Isaac. Right in their face rebuking them. It reminds me of that Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And I love the fact that Isaac is no longer afraid, but he just says, hey, you guys did me wrong. Why are you here? But they said, we have, um, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make an, a com- covenant with you that you will do to us no harm, since we have not touched you and since you have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You have now the blessed of the Lord. They, they're using the name Yahweh and they have no idea what it means. Of course, I don't think Isaac knows what it means either. But you're, you've been blessed by Yahweh. We're, we're gonna use your God's name, not ours. And he made them a feast and they ate and drank. Let me tell you, that's big time stuff. When you eat with people in this culture, it means you're becoming one with them. And they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. But it came from a place of strength this time. It came from a place of no fear. So the the first encounter we see early in the chapter, Isaac's in total fear. and, And he reveals how afraid he is of them by lying about who his wife is. But now at the end of that story, he has grown in his faith. And that's what we're supposed to see, that he heard the word of God and he believed it and he's standing on it. That's what we're supposed to get. And then in verse 32, it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water and he called it Sheba, which is oath or seven. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Now, some of you are going to go, yeah, we know about Beersheba. It's been mentioned several times. That's right. Abraham was at Beersheba, and it was called Beersheba. But it really wasn't Beersheba back in Abraham's days, even though it's called Beersheba in Genesis several times before this. This is the really the first time the name Beersheba was ever used. Well why did they use the name before it was ever years years and years before it was ever named because understand that's the way they view history. But now is when it's really named Beersheba either the well of the seven or the well of the oath. But again what do we have the altar dwelling next to the altar with the well of the oath. The the living water there. Well, changing the story once again. When Esau was 40 years old, interesting. Isaac was 40 when he got his bride. Jacob, we're going to find. But now Esau is 40 also when he gets his brides, plural. He was 40, and and so he thought, hey, dad got married when he was 40. I'm going to go get married now. And he took wives, plural. Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, and Basmath, the daughter of uh, Elon the Hittite. And they were grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. So again, Esau is just clueless of spiritual things. In a couple uh, next week, in, in, in the end of chapter 27. We, we really learn how deep of a grief this was to Isaac and Rebecca. In Genesis 27, 46, it says, Rebecca said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be? She literally says, having these Hittite women around, I wanna die. I, I don't wanna live. And if both of my sons take women from here, I, I do want to die. It was, it was more than a grief. And of course, this is the Holy Spirit speaking also, isn't it? But again, he doesn't marry one woman, he marries two. And we know uh, in Hebrews twelve sixteen we just read earlier, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. He was a fornicator. So in other words, he was having sex uh, probably with these women or other women. And, um, and he was a profane person. He he. These girls probably uh, were not moral type women. There wasn't moral stuff going on. In Genesis 24, verse 3 and 4 later, it makes it very clear that you will not take the wife of a son from the daughters of the Canaanites. And again, in Deuteronomy uh, 7, or excuse me, in, in chapter 24, uh, he's going to, Abraham had already said that to his servant. So this was not something that Esau wouldn't have had knowledge of. Hey, Isaac, how did you get your bride? Well, my father Abraham said, "You will not take a daughter from this land. You shall go back to Mesopotamia and get a bride for Isaac. So Esau knew that. but again, he, he had no spiritual, uh, discernment whatsoever he didn't care about spiritual things but later in the law Deuteronomy 7:3, nor shall you make marriages with them you shall not give your daughters to their son nor take their daughters for your son pretty clear I'm not going to read it tonight but in 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 through 18 in the New Testament Paul goes into quite a liturgy on how it, it just can't be done light with darkness uh, a believer with an unbeliever And of course, the original plan of God was that one man would take one woman, singular, and the two would become one flesh. When Jesus quotes that verse, he actually does say it, and the two shall become one flesh. And uh, that ends the chapter here tonight. And so we really just once again, like we did last week, want to sort of stop and ask ourselves: am I living according to the promise or am I living a secular existence? Do I know about the spiritual things, but they're not that valuable to me? Or are the spiritual things of great, great value to us? Lord, search our hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us. And lead us in the way of everlasting. Test us. Probe us. Search us. Forgive us. Heal us. Wash us. Hmm. Come on up,